Hi, folks. This is Gospel of Kennison, episode 45, uh, brought to you the week of October 6th, 2014. My name is James Kennison. You can find out more about what I do at nlcast.com or my personal blog, jameskennison.com. Last episode, I talked about a sermon that I taught um, yesterday, actually, October the 5th. And uh, I, it's a big deal, in case you didn't listen to that episode, because I've been struggling with depression, anxiety, and bipolarism for, you know, last five years or so. It hit a peak, and about a year and a half ago, actually, I could say it to the letter, one year, seven months, three days ago today, I preached my last sermon and thought I would never see the inside of a church as a pastor again. And I got to preach Sunday. If you want to hear about all that, go back, listen to episode 44. But otherwise, stay tuned and um, and hear a sermon that's about, um, and, and what's that verse? Psalm 3, 5, and 6, I think. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, um, <laughs> submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Sermon's called um, "Under the Icing," dumbest title ever. I'll I'll give you a little a little tidbit since you're here, since you're listening. Um, I had four or five titles written down, or each one was longer and worser than the previous one. Finally, I said, "You know what? I'm just going to go hipster on this, and I'm going to completely go for a joke, and I'm going to call it." Supper time. The title of my sermon is Supper Time because I couldn't figure out what in the world to call it. And um, I had that written in my notes. And I'm like, no, no, I should probably go ahead and title it something real. I'd never titled a sermon before. Uh, if you want to know how cool that actually was, go back and listen <laughs> to episode 44. And if you listen, listen again. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoy my uh, my my return to preaching. The day I thought would never come. Peace. I, I'm actually a pastor. I'm I've been a pastor for 13 years. I have not been a pastor the last uh, year and a half. And so uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. And then I'm going to tell you some things I've learned in the last year. I'm going to tell you why. But first, I have to set you up with the mystery. Uh, my family's here. My wife is right there in the purple-ish. I guess that's more magenta. I'm sure. My son Jay, he's the littlest one, and he's male. In case you couldn't tell. And then Jenna's the the cute one that uh, looks exactly like I did when I was a kid, hair and all. So, um, so you know my family now. I'm James Kennison. My my first job uh, was at Sheffield Family Life Center in Kansas City, Missouri. It's an inner city church of about 5,000 people. Um, I was the children's pastor there. And every week we did outreaches. We did sidewalk Sunday school and super church. Um, And like I said, right there in the heart of Northeast, uh, the old Northeast neighborhood there in Kansas City. And uh, I preached to between 250 and 300 kids every Sunday. Um, And that is supposed to be impressive. I was awesome. 
That's your takeaway so far. Um, after 10 years of that, uh, yeah, there's Sheffield. You're awesome. All right, so there's Sheffield. That, oh, there's my family. Look at them. We're all dressed up there. And I was probably about three pounds thinner. You can't tell at this point. When you, you get past a certain point, it doesn't show anymore. Um, my clicker's not working, but that's fine. Just advance it to uh, the building there that, that it was on before. There you go. There's Sheffield, big old place. Um, so two more clicks will get us to the next slide. Um, I ended up uh, m- moving from the megachurch model to Suncoast Cathedral. It was just, you know, the big church that's just down the street. Uh, yeah, there. We've already established that. But um, it was really a cool slideshow. I worked hard on it. Um, Suncoast Cathedral, you guys have seen it. It's the big building uh, down the street with the sign. It's always got a little sermon on it and all that. So we came here, though, primarily because... I, I thought I was, after 10 years, I thought I was done. I was almost, I was just very stressed out, um, work-related, you know, stress and things like that. So I came to a small church, you know, Suncoast, 500 to 800 people, you know. So um, so working hard, I, I, I enjoyed being used of God. I, I enjoyed helping out beyond the scope of my own ministry with the missions banquets and, you know, ideas for T-shirts, you know, just whatever I could do. Just generally being successful. Still awesome. Um, I did egg hunts, summer activities, Christian school chapels. And even kids' Bible camps. And it sounds like I'm bragging, and maybe I am, but I have to build myself up for the first time in my whole life so that you will know how humbled and how far uh, I failed. I fell. Um, at first, at Suncoast, things were going great. About a year. I think it was the honeymoon phase, they call it, in pastoring. Um, but then the darkness kind of started creeping in. And when I say darkness, I don't mean spiritual darkness. I mean that fog, that, that, that phase you go through where you're just, you're, you're tired, you're, your energy is gone, the, you feel a general sense of doom. Um, those of you who have uh, dealt with stress or anxiety know what I'm talking about. I tried everything to get rid of what I didn't want to admit was depression. I prayed. Um, I looked for hidden sin. I found a lot of it. Kept it, kept it hidden, but I asked for forgiveness. That's so okay. Um, I took vitamins and supplements because, you know, uh, medicine for everything in the world is okay with church people, but not for, you know, depression. You can't have depression if you're a Christian, don't you know? Um, and when the panic attacks started in the middle of the night for hours on end, um, I, st- I stopped Caffeine, which was my favorite thing in the whole world. It's the only drug Christians are allowed to abuse. And I had to lose that too. But it got ridiculous when I started calling in three or four days out of a five-day week. And uh, I, I did keep doing Sunday service. I believed that this dark period would eventually pass. All I had to do was hang on. And uh, eventually this would go away. God would save me. And um, this problem wouldn't ruin our lives. That's what I believed. I tried to keep it secret. And I did a really good job for a long time. Because I was horribly ashamed of what I'd become. I, I knew my father, even though he didn't live with us, and I didn't know him. I knew he was bipolar. They called it manic depressive back then. And they just used to dope you up 
until you didn't feel anything. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to admit it. Eventually, though, I couldn't fake being okay anymore. It was mostly the snack machine. I had a job. I had to fill a snack machine every Sunday. You know what snack machine because you worked there. And uh, eventually people started complaining that there weren't any candy bars and they knew there was a problem with Pastor James. There's a fat guy that, that he's either eating them or he's just too lazy to stock them. I don't know. But um, I tried to keep it secret, couldn't keep it secret. And eventually, after the third time I submitted my resignation, and when I begged him, and then flat out just said, please, while I've still got a little bit of, of, you know, whatever it means to be human left, please accept my resignation, uh, Pastor Sudreth finally did. Um, they, needed, they needed somebody better than what I could be. They deserved me at my best, but I wasn't that. And so I decided to step aside and let somebody else jump in there. Um, can, you, can you click on the I was a, it says I was a, or I failed. I like that slide. That's better than I'm awesome. I wish I could say that life was easier after I failed. Because I did. Some people tell me, no, you didn't fail. That wasn't your fault. Depression's not anybody's fault. It just happens. It comes to you. It's hidden sin. You've got a demon in you. No. Um, but they say you're not a failure. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if I had to bring a cake to a wedding, and I had to have it there by 3 o'clock, and the tire blew, and I didn't make it, didn't I still fail, even though it wasn't my fault? So just give me that. I failed. I did not. I was not able to handle it in my own power. I wasn't even able to handle it with what I believe. I had God's support and all that good stuff. Today, that's what we're actually going to be talking about a little bit. But it only compounded my problems. My mess was now messing with my family's well-being because my church, my job loss affected our friends, our church, and even when my kids got to go to school. It was free. It was awesome. A private school for free? That's rad. It's, even, it's not so rad when it's not free anymore. Plus, pastors don't just quit. We don't quit. We, we leave in shame or something. Unless we're going to another church. That's the one legit way. Otherwise, everybody wonders, what did he do? Did he do something extramarital or was it financial? Because that's our big, you know, that's the things we fall for. So, uh, so no, I was just a straight up, uh, straight up loser. That's, that's what it was. And I didn't want to tell anybody. So, needless to say, um, I went through a crisis of faith. Um, my, my mentor would have called it a dark time of the soul. The valley of the shadow of death. Whatever you want to call it. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't been there, you probably love someone who has. I realized... That I was under some unrealized expectation of God. That he was always, always, always going to swoop in at the last minute and save me. Because I was useful to his kingdom. I wasn't better than other people, but I was a minister. Surely it was in his best interest to keep me afloat. And keep me going. But that didn't happen. And when I asked God to save me. You know, we preach this to kids that when God, God always answers prayer, we tell them he either says yes, no, or wait. So don't get too upset when I tell you that God's, when I asked him to save me for my depression, for my anxiety, for my 
issues, when I asked him to empower me and and get me going again, when I asked him to help me keep my job and not devastate my entire family, he said no. It changed everything I understood about God. Changed how I believed he cared about me. How I believed he expressed his love to me. And especially since I knew that somewhere in heaven or, you know, out there in the spirit world where God is, I knew he was sitting on his throne watching me suffer. I couldn't couldn't fit all that in my head at the same time. I'm doing much better these days. If you haven't tell if you can't tell, Um, it's been about nine months um, since things have been really, really bad. Um, I still have off days. I still have days I don't want to get out of bed. I still have. But those, those are very small. And usually I can fight them and, and, and overcome them and mow the lawn. The lawn suffers a lot when you're depressed, by the way. It's like the telltale sign. Um, but I'm not 100%. I've got my on and off days. Um, I'm pretending right now to be a stay-at-home dad. It's what I tell people. Um, that is reality. I'm just staying home doing stuff, you know, practicing guitar and, and doing the dishes and things. Um, I really owe all the stay at home dads, a, a, an apology for using what they do, which is awesome. Um, as my cover, it's like my secret identity right now. Uh, and unfortunately my story, as I'm telling you, as, as spotty as it is, does not have a happy ending because, now we're, now we're caught up to the present. The story's not over yet. And um, I'm still recovering. And we, we're, we're, we, were, we found this church. And we're here resting and recuperating. And Pastor Kenny and his family were so loving and kind. And they haven't, they haven't asked us to do anything. And it's been so good. I don't know. I don't know. I remember, you know, lay people, when you're sitting in the pew, we try to get everybody working. But sometimes pastors have to be told, Stop. Stop, because you're not even you're not worshiping. You're leading worship. You're not you're not reading the Bible. You're reading the Bible to people. You know, we we have to make sure that we um, we slow down. But um, it's been uh, it's been five hundred and eighty one days since March third. The last Sunday that I did a children's ministry service, the last pulpit I was in, the last sermon I taught, it's one year, seven months, two days today. And so even though my story's not over, you are now, and I thank you for this, you're now a part of it because this is the sermon I thought I'd never preach. Because when you're broke, when you're so broke, broke, and I don't mean money broke, I mean just yeah. I thank God for it. I give him all the glory. It's mandatory I do that. Otherwise, somebody will say, why didn't you thank God for it? So whether you love my sermon today or hate it, um, I thank each of you for being a part of it. just wanted to say that. I had some troubles coming up with a name for my sermon. That's why it's so dumb. Um, the, the first sermon I, I, title I wanted was, Where is God when we suffer? The other one, I, how, how to trust God when you can't trust God. How, I, how can I know God loves me when life is terrible? Those are all terrible titles, by the way. I couldn't pick on one, so I just decided to go 
with under the icing. Isn't that pretty? I made that. That's, 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 yeah, don't think I spent money on that. I've always been able to look cooler than I really am because I don't have. I can just do that and not have to pay for it. And everybody's like, "Ooh, that's fancy." He's a he's a real pastor. Um, not. I just have to pretend to be. All right. Something happens when you've suffered greatly, and uh, I do not claim to have suffered as much as most. There are people that can you know could put my suffering under the table very easily. Um, in the inner city, I learned though that you don't judge suffering by how good of a story it makes. It's by how it affects the person. Because uh, at my church, I had inner city kids and I had suburban kids and both of them had problems. This one is my dad tried to kill my mom. And this was like, my dad watches too much sports. And I'd be like, white kid, why are you freaking out? Black kid's freaking He's got a real reason to freak out. And you're like, then you realize, no, it's affecting them. So you have to, it has to be okay. But um, suffering challenges everything you believe about God. You know, at least me. It did me. Every scripture seems to lose its power. You hold your faith out like a flashlight, believing that it will make the shadows go away. That your love for God will keep you safe. But flatly, sometimes, and, and you have to, you, some people are going to buck against this. But you have to think globally here. Think about Christians that are suffering at the hands of of terrorists right now when I say that sometimes it doesn't keep you safe. Some people lose their faith completely when devastation comes. I would say that a lot of folks do, at least for a period of time. They can't fit both a loving God and a God that would allow loss in their heart. They can't do it both at the same time. And then some people that are probably stronger than I just blindly accept that God is everything they were always taught. Vacation Bible school, Sunday school, they have enough in them to just flatly believe no matter what happens. Even though my child's gone, even though this happened, even though that's gone, I will blindly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And, I, and they just more or less don't think about it. But every time they hear somebody say something like, God is good all the time. Something pricks in their heart because deep down they know or at least they feel that sometimes he's not. Then there are hard-headed people like me. And I wanted to know. (laughs) I wanted to use my suffering to some sort of purpose. Why go through it? And just have, you know, gone through it. I wanted to understand God's word more. I couldn't do it in the midst of it, I'll be honest, and I'll tell you about that. Um, but what it means when you, when, when you suffer and when you look in the scriptures and you, you start to see things you didn't see before. And so what that means is when I read scripture, I'm not always as blessed as I once was. And, and, and understand when I say blessed, I mean what we really mean by blessed, which is made happy. You know, you can be blessed without being made happy, you know. So I think that I used to enjoy God's word like a kid enjoys a cupcake. I have a picture of that, too. If you want to throw that up. Yeah. Sometimes... They just lick off the icing and leave the bottom there. And uh, (laughs) 
So now that I, and then and that's where I got my title, by the way, if you can't tell. It's under the icing. I, I think I used to enjoy God's word like this. But now I've learned that all scripture is God-breathed. Amen. All of it. And I'm not even talking about the whole Bible. I'm talking about the other meaning of the word all. Everything that a verse can mean is God-breathed and useful for teaching. Even if the deep truths are real and challenging and uncomfortable, even the ones that I, even the scriptures I don't even know yet or understand yet, but are still at work in our world and in my life, the ones I'll discover years from now, this revelation that I think I've found through my depression is nothing compared to what I'll know when I'm 50 and 55 and 70. And I don't think I'll make it that long. It's okay. Be at my kid's graduation. That's my goal. But if you are someone that has suffered great loss, I hope my words will offer some sort of clarity and comfort. If you haven't, this sermon will help you trust God. Even when things in your life, perhaps your entire life, seems to go careening out of control. So our verse today is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. If you'll throw that up there for me. And sorry, I know I told you my clicker was going to work, but uh, it just doesn't anymore. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite verses. It goes a little something like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of my favorite verses, I used to teach it to my kids. I even had a scripture song that would help them remember it. This verse on the surface seems to only offer a pretty basic bargain agreement. And that's how I used to teach it. And I have another slide for that. If you, my, my, my way, my simplistic, my icing way of teaching it used to be, if you trust the Lord and not yourself and live a life that honors Him, then you'll have a blessed, awesome, wonderful, cool life. Sounds great. Preaches awesome, by the way. People love sermons like that. When you preach stuff like that, people go away feeling great. Maybe even a bit challenged. They'll say, you know, I need to start working on living for Jesus more. And that way I can have a great life. And it's, you know, it's a good message to take away. But that's what I would call the icing. It's just the surface. It's fluff. It sounds great in the ear, but doesn't have a whole lot of nutrition for your soul. Especially when the rubber hits the road. Especially when bad things happen. Because those who have suffered know something. They know that we live in a fallen world where the reality is no matter how tight you are with God, bad things still happen. I feel like I need to qualify my statement by saying that, well, naturally, if you live for God, you'll have less problems in your life. But if I think globally, where when you get saved in some countries, your life becomes exponentially worse, I can't actually say even that. Pastor mentioned just this last week, he said, and he was correct when he said that there are no good people, but we can still say that unfortunately bad things do happen to justified people. Because really that's what we're asking. You know, we know bad things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and we're cool with that. But what about us? That's what we really want to know. Why do bad things happen to Christians? The Bible says in Matthew 5 that the rain falls on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on both as well, the wicked and the good. It is important to understand 
Because once I believed that my good works kept me in some special cosmic list that God kept in his back pocket, uh, I was one of his favorites. And the thing is, I didn't realize that. I didn't know my faith was so small and shallow until disaster struck. And it rocked my life and my relationship with God. And I was more or less like, I thought we had a deal. I live for you and you made my life easy. It was a good thing. I, the, the more you blessed me, the more I poured right back out to my people. But my understanding of Scripture and the nature of my relationship with God was way off. So if my version, the version that I taught, was wrong on the, or surface, it may not have been 100% wrong. What is this verse communicating to us? What is this verse trying to say to us in the midst of our suffering? Let's take it step by step. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When I read this, I always somehow always replace the words trust with all my heart uh, with the phrase having faith. Because it sounds the same, doesn't it? Trust the Lord with all your heart. But that's not right. That's not what it says. Because faith is believing in something that you hope for. Something that you haven't even seen yet. But trusting is what you do after you've had faith and it's been proven Worth it. See, the first time you pet a dog, you're putting out a little bit of faith that he's not going to bite your fingers off. But after a successful trial petting period, you learn that you can trust the dog and no longer worry that he's about to nip off your fingernails. Trusting God is more than hoping. It's more than believing. It's looking at what you know of him from his word and how he's revealed himself in your life and knowing that you can trust him. But trust him to do what? Well, it doesn't say. That's because it's not the point. The advice here is to trust God, period. In my life, I found that I was willing to trust God 100% until things started going south. There were many dark days when I believed that everything in me, that I believed with everything in me, that things would stay dark forever. It wasn't a lack of faith. It was just a grim possibility. Like Christian people who may lose a leg in a car accident or a child. That's going to stay that way for the rest of their life. It is a grim reality. Things aren't going to get better, so to speak, even though you may adjust. So I had to figure out how can I relate to God who might just let me suffer for the rest of my life. Who might pull me out of ministry for the rest of my life. In my darkest days when my faith was gone, hope seemed impractical. I eventually, though, found that I could still trust God. And it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't some wonderful, amazing spiritual feat of strength. It was actually what I stopped doing. I stopped putting limits on where God could lead me. As a child, I used to close my eyes and have my sister push me around the house and play blind man. You ever done that? And you would keep your eyes closed until you started feeling something about to hit you in the face because you know your sister's going to lead you into a wall. And so you would peek. You're peeking. You're peeking. No, I'm not. And you would adjust yourself. Oh, oh, and put yourself out there just like that. The thing is, I trusted her, but within certain contexts. I used to ask my kids, my children's church kids, do you trust your parents? And they would quickly say, yes, absolutely. And I would say, but do you trust them with anything? Oh, yes, yes. How about if the pilot disappeared and they needed to land the plane? Would you 
trust them to land a plane. And even though it broke their little hearts, they had to say, no, I would not trust my dad or my mom to land a plane. They couldn't trust them completely. Our verse today says that we should trust the Lord, not half-heartedly, not partially, not just when it's safe and not within a certain context. Do we trust him with our lives, our families, and our future, no matter what he has planned for them. I wrote three, three, three things that I always try to ask myself. Can I serve God even if, no matter what, and whatever it takes? And sometimes serving God can take a lot. And I'm talking about the traditional sense, like it takes a lot of boldness, it takes a lot of... Sometimes it takes. Can we stand with Job in Job chapter 13 and say, even if he kills me, still I will trust in him? Can we claim the kind of trust that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in Daniel 3 when they said, we know our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we will not bow. They didn't know the end of their own story. They trusted God, even though they were just assuming that God's path for them was leading into a big fiery furnace. And that's where I found myself. Trusting God no matter what. Again, not because of any kind of strength, but because of absolute weakness and the inability to steer myself even if I wanted to. And that and the fact that I already hit the wall pretty hard. It was out of weakness and surrender. It's only been a few months, by the way, since I finally bent my knee to God again. And I told Him, basically like... um, What Job said, except not as neat and cool, not as many boils involved. I said, even if you want me like this forever, I will stick with you. Even though I don't know why you would ever want me (laughs) messed up. (laughs) So I gave up control. I had to give up what I believed God was supposed to do in my situation. I had to give up what I believed God had put me on the earth for. I had to do all that. Because I had to be willing to let God do what he wanted. And if that meant he wanted me to live a martyr's life where I'm just nothing. Other than an awesome dad. I've always been an awesome dad. I got that down. Not a great husband, but an awesome dad. (laughs) Trust is more than faith, by the way. It's more than experience. And it's an insane letting go of everything except God. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Once I believed this to mean that God wanted me to trust him rather than myself to do things his way, not my way. And it does mean that. But again, that's the icing. When you read this, when I read it, I subconsciously replace the phrase, uh, lean not on your own understanding with lean not on your own ways. As in don't do things your way, do good things God's way. It's a fine idea, but... It also means more than that. It says to trust, it says not to trust in what you understand, the things that you believe. And this is going to be weird because our whole life we've been told to believe what we believe, right? Sometimes I've been guilty of that, believing in what I believe in more than God. I have these rules and these ideas and these concepts of what is going on, whether it's backed up by Scripture or not. These little sayings that we hear. God's done before. He will do it again. 
We don't know if it's Scripture or not. We just kind of believe it. You know, God will turn everything around for the good. He won't allow you to be tested above what you could bear. I wouldn't say that, by the way. He said He won't allow you to be tempted. <laughs> anyway, God is who He is. He is not what I say He is. Or think he is, or believe he is, or understand him to be. He is beyond all comprehension. Ephesians 3 agrees that it's in his power to do more than we can ask or imagine. So the moment we say we understand something about God, we have to immediately say, but I don't understand it. And every time we say God is like this, we have to say, but he's not exactly like that. Because the moment you can comprehend him, you have to admit he's beyond that. Jesus, I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And so now doves are all over cars, checkbooks, and churches. But he's not a flighty little bird. He is the very presence and power of God. And I've heard pastors even say, you know, he's like a bird. If you mess up, he's going to fly away. The Holy Spirit's going to fly away. I hope not. He's the one that drew me to Christ. You know, anyway. We use experience, feelings, human understanding to try to figure out who God is. And that's natural. That's all we've got is our senses, our mind, our heart. Even when we look in Scripture, it is in a way tainted by our understanding of it because we process it through our minds. So it's not about our beliefs. It's about who we believe in. When the bottom fell out of my life, I wondered where God was. I wondered how He fit in all of this mess. But I wasn't really struggling with God, even though I thought I was. Now I look back and I realize I was struggling with my ideas about God. What I thought he was supposed to do. He had not done what I would have wanted him to do or thought he should have done. A lifetime of sermons taught me that God was for me and not against me. And he is. That we are more than overcomers and we are. I learned that God would work things out for the good and he does. I'm not arguing that any of that is wrong. I'm just arguing that there is a surface understanding of all those concepts. There's an icing. I'd been taught my whole life how great it was to be a Christian, but nobody taught me what to do when it wasn't great. I didn't even know not great was an option. I thought, you're Christian, so it's supposed to be generally pretty awesome all the time threw me for a loop when I realized that I hadn't been rescued at the last moment, that the darkness was coming and it was going, I was was just going to have to go through it. Something that costed me the very last thing in the world I ever imagined God would ever allow to go. It's the last thing he took was my ministry. I learned that I can't lean on my own understanding because God is not limited or defined in any way by my understanding of him. When it all came down, I found myself being quite the type A control freak. I was holding up my image, so to speak, of what he was supposed to look like. Telling him that what he was supposed to have done. Only to have him sit in silence until I finally broke the image and released him from my roles. I've come now to accept that God is who he is. And sometimes, though not always, when bad things happen, he doesn't stop it. I know this seems overly deep and maybe a little weird. It may sound like I'm telling you not to believe in God. 
And I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is it's dangerous when we define God solely by what he's done and assume that we know him. When we accidentally put our faith in what he does rather than who he is. And I want to explain why real quick. Underneath this, I have an object lesson. Ta-da, it's not a magic trick. Unless you're really easily impressed. I just made that appear. Um, what I've got here is a big old uh, Hebrew lexicon. I've got a ragamuffin gospel book and a whole bunch of DVDs. Not, not real ones, just fake ones. Pretend this is God down here at the bottom. Big, big, giant book. This is me on top. And these are all the things I believe about God. Okay, All the, those things that I believe he's going to do. All the things that I believed. Anyway, I, I won't put that on you. Maybe you're, better, you're probably a lot better off than I was. But then life comes along. Okay, this is my connection with God. Life comes along. Oh, it didn't even take much. Where, where is my faith now? Where's my relationship? Has God moved? Nope. Thank you, Jenna. My daughter's set up in advance to fix this up for me. So apparently, I mean, that's, that's basically where I was. That's what, I, that's what happened to me. When depression struck me, when my ministry hit, because I believe God would not let me fall, because I believe he would not let me fail, because I believe that, yes, I could let him lead me, but only, only where I wanted him to. That was my problem. You can put him up there now. Let me stack him up there. It's the 10 minutes you can get. All right. Oh, I got to put this down here. This is what I'm proposing. I'm not saying that our beliefs are wrong. We've all got those things. We know that God healed so and so. I've got mir- I've had miracles in my life. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm saying when we when we put God in a package and say that's what he does, well now life comes along. My beliefs, it's okay. We're going to leave this we're going to leave this to later. She's awesome. My beliefs may f- fall away. Some of the things I thought I knew about God may flutter and fall, but my relationship stays tight with Him. Okay? Again, I, I said I, I, I've heard the phrase, what God has done, He will do again. It's a phrase that victorious people use. I'm not a victorious person. I'm just real. I'm a realist, pretty much. But they will claim... Uh, claim that, and, and it's a loose mashup of Malachi 3.6 and James 1.7, saying that God never changes, and that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And this is an example of a belief that people have. God is capable of doing anything, so of course He's capable of doing it again. So the, 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 the belief is not wrong, it is not a lie. He can do for you what He's done for others, and what He's done before He can do again, but you know, he, he, he can stop the storm, but he can choose not to. And anyone who bases their faith on a belief rather than God himself is going to find themselves struggling. So I'm just trying to warn you here. God does miracles. But sometimes, for whatever reason, he does not perform miracles. He does not always do what we want done. And I've been in prayer circles and I've been in these meetings where we get together and we pray for that person with cancer and we pray and we pray and we pray and we we say we don't have room for doubt, just total belief, total faith. And then that person passes and I bet everybody here's got one of those stories. And people fall away from the faith sometimes because it kills them. I thought we were I mean we did, we claimed we the bot Sometimes God says no. And in the eye of eternity, 
it's not that bad a deal because that's where we all want to be. You know, what did God actually do to that person? Brought him home? Dang. God is so mean. Anyway, I hope you understand sarcasm because otherwise you think I'm a heretic. So, But uh, see, Jesus himself at times was able to slip through the crowd, you know, the angry crowd that was trying to grab him prematurely, only to be caught later on at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, he allowed himself, but still was a miracle that could have happened that didn't. Paul escaped from prison due to miracles that we know very well, but there were also times he served a sentence. The Hebrew boys escaped the fiery furnace, but every true disciple of Christ but one died a martyr's death. And the one that didn't lived a martyr's life in exile on an island. He started seeing visions and he wrote them down. And we're preaching about them on Sunday nights now. The point is this. The moment I plant a flag and say, this is how God is, I have created an idol. A version of God rather than who God is himself. So it's basically being just released and, and open to what, who God is and knowing who God is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That was our first point. Sacrifice everything. Lean not on your understanding. Let go of our idols. In all your ways, submit to him. This is a quick one. Promise. But no less important. It says in all your ways, submit to him. In other ways, is acknowledge. But submit's the one I choose. What that means is even in your struggles and doubts that you could submit them to Him. Even your mistakes. We always think about it about the good stuff. In all my ways. Well, God wants good ways. so. But I believe God is stronger. I believe faith. I believe a mustard seed of faith is stronger than a whole truckload of doubt. I believe God's love is, is more brighter than a whole website of darkness. I don't know why website, but there's some dark websites. I used website as an amount of measurement. But anyway, when you make mistakes and you do the absolute wrongest, stupidest thing, like I did when I fell, I didn't do anything morally wrong, thank God, or extramaritally wrong, which is hard for fat guys to do anyway. Um, I, I had to, I just kind of let go. In my dark time, I didn't stop believing. I, could, I, I, I couldn't have done anything sinful if I wanted to. I didn't have the energy to do anything. I literally didn't have the spiritual energy, though, to maintain a relationship with God. And that's so contrary to what we hear. My whole life, you know, you have to pursue God. You have to go after Him. You know, deep calls to deep and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's probably the oddest and least spiritual thing you've ever heard a pastor say in your life that he didn't have the spiritual energy to hang on to God. But it's true, so I'm telling you. I'm sharing this because even in that state, even though I was lower than I'd ever been, and this may sound a little overly spiritual, I found myself laying right in front of God. Just laying there. He on His throne and me on the floor. Just kind of saw it in my spirit, you know, or in my mind. Total submission. Probably the only time I'll legitimately be able to claim that. Total submission. I assumed, though, while I was down there, that I was a disappointment. I had failed. I assumed our relationship would suffer because I wasn't keeping up my end of the bargain. But that's when I learned something amazing, and I want to share with you, is that my relationship with God is not a 50-50 deal. It's not like the relationship with a friend or with your wife. 
or, or with your son. It's almost all God, if not all God. And when you can't hold on, thank God he doesn't let go. You think you think you let go and, and you would just fly off into spiritual limbo. But you look and you're like, oh, wow. So laying on the floor, in my heart, I could see God sitting there. And in a recent journal entry, I wrote this. I used to think that if I didn't keep all my ministry plates spinning, that it would break our deal. Me and God had a deal. I told you about the deal earlier. But when they all came crashing down anyway, in spite of my best efforts, I looked up to God to find him still sitting there like he was watching a show. Like there still might be something good coming next. And there will be. After a brief intermission. So you can submit all your ways to God. Even your failures and your fears, your doubts, your struggles. He doesn't just want the good stuff. He wants the bad stuff too. He can handle it. It's what he's for. Lastly, he will make your paths straight. I'll admit, I, well, I admitted earlier that I once believed this to mean that God would set me up to win every time. If I lived life right, if I tithed, if I did all the things that we're supposed to do, pray, your, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll... Yep, good. It's, it's, you know, we got it all down to a three-point process, even in even preschool. Grow, grow, grow. So... I thought he would, you know, set me up to win in my family, but especially in ministry. I thought that one was a given. It's like, you know, why would God take me out of, out of that? But I now know that I was mistaken. It's not about your life being perfect, even your life being smoother. It's about the path being straight. I might even be tempted to say that a straight path means that if I trust God and not my understanding, if I submit to him, that he will make my path clear. That's kind of what I used to think. Clear. If it's straight, then I can see all the way down. But I don't know about you. Even though the straight and narrow path is a straight and narrow path, doesn't it still have uh, some of these? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And you can't see over the next hill, can you? It sounds good to say that your straight path might mean that you'd be able to see clearly in what's ahead. Um, but Abraham didn't know when God sent him. Moses didn't know where the promised land was. Even Psalm 119 admits that God's word is a lamp for our what? Feet. It doesn't show the whole way. Just a bit of the path ahead. Couple that with Christ's urging in Matthew 6 to give no thought to tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. These things lead me to believe that our future is largely in God's hands and it is something we're just not going to know. But that's okay, especially if you trust in the Lord. We've already established today that life can seem very hard. And if you're not struggling today, I'll bet you know someone who is or share a home with someone who is. It seems to me that the straightening of the path has little to do with, with life as, as we are here on the earth. And it has more to do about where the path is going. Because a straight path can still have hills and valleys. And though we don't know what's ahead, though we can't see the finish line with our own eyes, when a path is straight, can't you trust where it's headed a lot more? Amen. Heaven is the happy reward. 
for all of those who trust and submit to God. And that leads me to my last point. The question I barely dared ask myself in my worst time. This is like your bonus feature on the DVD. God, if you love me, how could you let this happen? If you're honest with yourself, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but you've asked that question before, or you know someone that has. But God didn't even blink. I thought I was going to bring it. He would be all offended, get huffy, write my name out of the book, maybe even throw it at me. But he had been asked far worse by far greater men than me. Didn't Jesus himself ask God why he had deserted, abandoned, and forsaken him? The answer that God gave me came so loudly, so loudly. The answer to all, all of the gunk that you heard me talk about, all my struggles. Out of all places, it came from the oldest scripture of all. Not because it was written first, but because it's been the one I've known the longest. It's so basic. It's so often repeated and quoted, but in it is the theme of the entire Word of God. It's the ultimate proof that God loves me no matter what comes. No matter what changes or leaves or dies or where it hurts. John 3.16 has been screaming the answer to my darkest doubt the whole time. You'll excuse me if I quote it in my own words. My own, I'll use paraphrase so you can handle that. It's a spiritual word for it. For God loved the world so much that He sent His one and only Son into the world so that whoever would believe in Him could have everlasting life. God showed His love for me 2,000 years ago. Before my situation, before my failure, before my life went weird, before your loss, before your struggle, before it all. And no matter what comes in my life, I can know that God loves me because He saved my soul from hell. Anything above that is bonus. He, does, he didn't even owe me the death of His Son. So I've really learned to just back off of God and just take it as it comes, even when it hurts so very bad. Earlier during my object lesson, I never mentioned the connection, how to get directly to God, and it's this. It's this idea. It's John 3.16. God loved the world so much that He what? Gave. He gave. He loved them so much that he gave. The best thing he had, he looked around. Just imagine, you know, bring him down to earth for a minute. He looked around for the best thing. Oh, sorry. Sorry, son. You're, you're the best. I used to ask kids, my kids, my children's church kids, I'm like, because eBay was a big thing a few years back, and it's kind of crud now, but I talked about I, I got a projector for $30 from a thing. I sold it online for 300 bucks. I said, how much was that projector worth? $3 or $300? And I'll tell you, it's worth what somebody paid for it. And ladies and gentlemen, you may wonder where God's love is. You may wonder if you've experienced it or have or haven't felt it. But I'm going to tell you, you are worth what God paid for you. And He didn't pay with you with a prophet. He didn't pay with you with just some random Jewish dude or an animal on a bunch of rocks. 
paid for you with His Son, Jesus Christ. This idea, this concept will straighten out your path like nothing else. Knowing that God has already shown His love for you and your life, no matter how hilly it is, no matter how the valleys are, no matter what the hiccups are and the mess-ups and the problems and the sins and the, and the victories, that it's, your heart is still heading on a beeline to heaven. That, that's a good thing. That's what, that's what keeps me going. Even if there are problems on the way. All the, I had a guy tell me one time, I was trying to witness to him when I was younger, and he, he's so mad at me, and he says, my grandmother, she suffered with such and such every day of her life, and she went to church every time she did, and, and you, you explain to me how God would let that happen. And, and I and just it took all my wind away. He was so passionate. He wasn't angry. He was mad at God. And I would have told him if I knew then what I know now is I would say, ask her now that she's in heaven if it was worth it. Because like a family in a hot car headed to Disney World fighting and arguing, once you get to Disney World, nobody remembers the trip there. Never in the history of mankind is a family sent out. Okay, guys, get in. We got the tickets we got to just, you know what, that line on the seat, I'm, he was right. You shouldn't have crossed that. We don't do that. We don't do that. I pray that my journey and the truth of God's word has ministered to you today. And I just want to ask you, we won't do a big old altar time. I've gone way over. Just close your eyes for me. And all the things that I've said about this scripture, look past the icing as I, as I read it one more time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, not what you understand about God, not what you know, the things that might let you down, but the God that won't let you down. In all your ways, submit to Him, good, bad, otherwise, and He will make your path straight. Not easy. Not flat, but direct. Thank you so much, God, for this opportunity. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.